Well, it's so good to have everybody with us here today. Uh, my name is Matt, one of the ministers here. Uh, Chad, our lead minister, is out, been in a conference all week, and uh, uh, but uh, so be praying for him. It's been a good time of refreshment for him, I think, but, uh, but you're stuck with me today, so there you go. But uh, hey, right now we have many who are joining us online, and uh, matter of fact, right now we have uh, Karsten and Nadine Lawn from Toulouse, France. Uh, joining us. Uh, they actually have a daughter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome them. They have a daughter who is here as a foreign exchange student with one of our uh, families here. And so they've been with us the last several weeks. And uh, so it's exciting to have them and, and expanding our global presence. So, hey, would you welcome all of our online guests with me one more time? Glad you're with us. Pretty awesome. Yesterday, we had a uh, Love 918 event as uh, we were building, uh, building two houses here on our parking lot. Many of you were here. It was awesome to see everybody here on Friday evening prepping and yesterday morning uh, working and well, actually throughout the day yesterday uh, working in the heat. And uh, thank you to so many that made that happen. And uh, even though Chad was out of town, uh, he was able to make it in for the build. We did get a picture of uh, Chad uh, working really hard, even got the hammer in there. I love that. That was, that was good. So uh, Chad worked really hard yesterday on the house build. So anyway, but uh, hey, those two houses, uh, as we're partnering with uh, Tulsa Habitat uh, for Humanity, those are, as I understand it, both of those will be going to uh, the Broken Arrow area and blessing two families. And hopefully we're going to get a chance to be able to uh, even partner with them in raising those walls. So uh, no promises, but we're working on that. And that would be awesome to be able to meet those families and uh, love on them in that way. So, uh, so again, thank you to so many who uh, helped make that happen. Uh, it, was a, it was a good, good event. All right. Hey, uh, as you heard already, we're starting a new series today called Letters from My Future Self. And I'm glad you're here as we're launching into this. This is going to be a series uh, really through the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a moment, a time in your life where it's like, man, if I, could, if I could just send a letter to my younger self or shoot an email to my younger self and uh, give them some pointers, you know, now that I've uh, lived a little bit, I know a little better, uh, maybe you've had that thought, if I, could, if I could just head off some of these things. Maybe one of the first things you would have done is said, invest in Amazon, yeah, right? <laughs> You'll be set, all right? Just put, put a little bit in there, whatever you can. Yeah, put some in on Amazon. Maybe that would be it. Maybe it'd be relational advice, like stay away from so-and-so, you know, don't even think about dating this person. You know, maybe it'd be relational advice. Maybe there's a specific circumstance or a, a specific event that you would say, don't go there, or maybe go there. You need to be there. That's going to turn out great if you'll do this. Maybe you've got some of that kind of advice. I don't know if you've ever thought that. Maybe you've had, had those words pop in your, in your mind, if I could just go back, right? If I just knew then what I know now, man, life would be a lot better. I could have avoided a lot of heartache maybe. I think we've all probably had those moments in, in life. 
Well, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John is writing to the church, a young church, and he doesn't have the opportunity to write to his younger self, but he does have the opportunity to write to the younger church, right? The next generation of the church. As he saw them struggling, as he saw them going through some issues, he wanted to reach out to them out of his wisdom. This is some 50, 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and John has been serving Jesus for 50 or 60 years. And, and if you know John, the apostle John's story, you know he was the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And you know that he was uh, one of the, the main players in the, in the launch of the church and the spreading of the gospel. And you know also that he went through a lot of persecution and a lot of hardship as he served Jesus and as he spread the gospel. But as, as John is in his old age looking at this young church, there's one thing that he does recognize in the church, that they are already facing false doctrine and false teaching. There are some that have come among them to begin, that have already began to, to confuse them, to to. to cause them to, to lose their joy and to, to go off track. One of those main groups that was uh, causing this stir in the church were known as the Gnostics. And the word Gnostic means special knowledge or a knower. Because part of their belief system was that only an elect group of people would have this special knowledge from God to be able to understand and know the truth. And so that left a lot of the believers, these new disciples, these new followers of Jesus in confusion, wondering, well, do I, do I have this special knowledge? If I don't, how do I get this special knowledge? Am I really saved? And so there was a lot of confusion. Uh, the Gnostics, the, that, that belief system had been around really before Jesus was here. There were already those that believed and had this, uh, this thought system uh, within themselves. But, but when Jesus came along, some of them adopted Jesus into their theology and began to kind of meld Jesus into what they, the beliefs that they already had. And so the Jesus that they preached and the Jesus that they taught was a distorted view of Jesus. It wasn't the real Jesus. Now, again, remember, this was only 50 or 60 years after Jesus had died and resurrected. I mean, this wasn't very long. And the church was already having problems with false doctrine. So much so that John felt like he needed to write a letter. You know, if you read uh, the rest of the New Testament, Paul has written uh, letters to churches who were dealing with false doctrine as well. But, but you know, if you've been in the church long, we deal with false doctrine today in the church. Anytime someone says to you, well, that verse seems to say that, but you need to be careful. Anytime someone says, we have a new teaching or a new revelation, be careful. Anytime somebody says, well, my preacher says, be very careful, <laughs> There's a lot of false doctrine out there and false teaching out there. We all are to be careful. Paul gives us that warning to watch our life and our doctrine closely. So it seems like as John is writing this first letter, first John as we know it, it seems like almost everything that he says in this first letter is something in response to 
the false doctrines that are being taught in the church. Eleven times through this letter, he uses this phrase, I'm writing to you or we're writing to you. Every time making a statement about, hey, here's something I need you to grab hold of. Here's something that I want you to know the, the truth about. One of those we're going to cover today in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, where, where he says that, hey, I, I'm writing this so that, so that our joy may be complete. Apparently, the, the church has lost their joy, and he's wanting to, to reestablish that joy in the church that we've been talking about here the last couple of weeks. Another place is over in chapter 5, verse 13, where he says, I'm writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, there were some who were, were doubting their salvation. Were they, were they right with Jesus? But because of this false doctrine, they were in confusion. And so he wanted to write to help clear these up. I think most scholars would, would describe 1 John, uh, John's letter in this way. I, I think they would agree with this. John writes his first letter to provide followers of Jesus with encouragement and assurance of their standing before God and their hope of eternal life. That's why he writes this letter, to encourage and to give assurance Encourage them because they've lost their joy to give them assurance of their salvation because many of them have begun to question it because of some of these false teachings that have seeped into the church. So today, I think the message that we, we find John talking about as he begins this message is a kind of a familiar message that we've heard. It starts by saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? It's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. I, I believe that's the message that John's trying to get across in this. And, and probably every one of you, you've got stories of where who you knew got you somewhere, right? Or got you out of something, right? You know, if you knew, if you knew somebody, maybe you knew a, an officer that got you out of a ticket, right? So it's who you knew. Or you knew somebody that helped you get a job. It was who you knew who got you somewhere, something. It's, all, it's not what you know. It's who you know. I've had the opportunity uh, with, with many people, friends that have uh, helped me or, or blessed me in different ways. One time, uh, this has been years ago, my son Jaden, who's 20 now, when he was just a little squirt, uh, when, uh, we, we had the opportunity to go to an OSU basketball game and we had box seats. And this was Jaden's first time to go to a college basketball game. And we go to these box seats, and of course, you know, it's all you could eat and all the drinks that he wanted, and Jaden was just living it up. And right next to our box, our box, my friend's box who let me be there, <laughs> right next to our box was Eddie Sutton's box. And there's Eddie Sutton, and I'm getting to tell Jaden who he is. And it was a great time, but we were all joking and laughing because Jaden from that point on was ruined. <laughs> because his first experience at a basketball game was in box seats. It's not gonna be like that every time, son. We had a great time because of somebody I knew that blessed us in that way. John starts addressing the church 
by dealing with the very nature of Jesus and who Jesus was, the real Jesus, to give them a, an accurate picture of who Jesus was. And he, he starts by helping them find that joy that they once had, that they've lost now that they are in this confusion. So, so let's dive into this. First John chapter 1, starting verse 1. If you have your Bibles, get there, uh, or it's going to be on the app. You can follow along. But it says this. He begins by saying this, that which was from the beginning. Let's just stop right there because that's, uh, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's a packed little statement right there. That which was from the beginning. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning. Matter of fact, John, who wrote the gospel of John, he started that gospel very similarly to how he started this. If we go over to there, in John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning, sound familiar, was the word, word meaning Jesus, that was a very packed word, word was, for the Jewish people because it encompassed the, the, the power of God and the, the nature of God in that word. He was the word of God. He was there in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was God. That's how he started, in the beginning. When, well, when was the beginning? The beginning was before anything, Jesus was. You see, one of the teachings in, in, that was being taught in that time was that Jesus was the adopted son of God. That, that when Jesus was baptized, or maybe another, they weren't real certain, another important time in his ministry, that God chose Jesus and adopted him to be his son. It, it was known as the, the adoptionist theory. And so it would take away really the, the deity of who Jesus was. And John here saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus was there in the beginning. He wasn't the adopted son. He was the son. And he was God from the beginning. He's clearing things up. Jesus was there in the very beginning before all things began to come into existence. Matter of fact, all things in existence were spoken into existence through Jesus. We know that from elsewhere in Scripture. Let's keep on going. Verse 1 there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John here is beginning to establish his credibility. Another false teaching that the Gnostics had been teaching was that Jesus was, was only a spiritual being, that he was some sort of apparition and he could kind of uh, fake being physical, and so, but, but he was really just a spirit, and uh, which therefore would also mean that he didn't really die on the cross. Uh, matter of fact, there's a whole story around that, how that didn't even happen. I mean, there's just... It, really goes off the rails when they teach Jesus in this aspect of what they believed about Jesus. John, in this text, says, no. These people who are teaching you, they don't even, they weren't even there. I was there. I saw him with my eyes. I heard him with my ears. I studied him with my intellect. I touched him with my hands. He was real. He was fully human. At the same time, he was fully God. And I've got the credibility to back it up, unlike all the others that were teaching these false doctrines. 
He establishes his credibility there. And then he goes on. This, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We proclaim this. I can't hold this in because I've got all of these experiences that I've had with Jesus. And remember, John, he's some 70, 80 years old at this point, And he's saying, hey, I'm holding on to those experiences. And they are so real to me even today as they were back then when I walked this earth with him. And I got to proclaim it to you. I've got to share it with you because he's the real Jesus. Don't get lost in the false teachings that have been giving him this distorted view of who he is. He is Jesus, the word of God that brings life to every one of us. Keep going, verse two. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The life appeared. Who's he talking about? Jesus This life has appeared, right? He has come. He was physically here. He was real. This wasn't some made-up story. It's not some theory that, that somebody's passed down. He was life manifested, real life manifested in the person of Jesus. He was real and he was physical. Keep on going in that text. We have seen and testified to it. Again, what's he saying? Again, I've got the credibility. I was there. I saw him. I talked to him. I spent so much time with him during his time in ministry. I've got the credibility to back it up. He, it's no, I'm not presenting you some ideas and theories that I've come up with on my own. I'm telling you about Jesus because this is what I saw in him. Keep on going. And so we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. Again, he's already said it once that I'm proclaiming this. Now I'm, he says it again, we proclaim to you. We're, we, we can't hold this in. We got to make sure you understand this. That we, you got to understand who this real Jesus is and know that he is really who we've taught and preached you from the very beginning who he is. Look at verse three. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Huh, does that sound familiar? <laughs> it's the third time that he said this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Do you think John's trying to make a point to his credibility here? Three times. He's saying all these other people who are coming in and telling you all these things that they believe about Jesus, all these theories and ideas that they have about him, they have no credibility. We do, I do, because I've seen it and I've heard him. Right? He keeps backing it up so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. He says there, we want you to be on the same page so we together can be in fellowship with one another. We can be in partnership with one another. The word that he uses there for fellowship is a familiar word. If you've been around church life for very long, it's that Greek word koinonia which simply means fellowship. The, the definition is to have in common that we would, he, John's desires that we all have in common the same understanding about who Jesus is, who he was when he was on this earth and what he accomplished on the cross. He says that truth is what we will all have in common and we can be brothers and sisters in Christ as we walk together and partnership together in advancing the gospel. And then we come to verse four. And John kind of wraps up this very first 
section of this letter with this simple statement. We covered this a minute ago. We write this to make our joy complete. Some versions will use the word your joy complete. Most will go with our. I believe that's probably closer to the original Greek. And I think it's our because I believe John is including himself in the statement that, hey, I, I want you all to know this about Jesus. I want you to be firm in your understanding about Jesus so that your joy, you can once again experience that joy that you once had from the beginning when you first heard the gospel, when you first discovered who Jesus was and what he had accomplished on the cross for you. I, I want you to experience that joy once again. And when you experience that joy, it's going to make my joy even complete as well because I'm going to understand or I'm going to see that you guys have got it again. and You're back on the right track. He says we ought to be a people of, of joy We've been talking about that over the last several weeks, how, how we as a church, we ought to be a, a joy-filled people, right? We've talked about how we as a people ought to be those that, that bring the, the joy of heaven to the sadness of earth. And John here, he's saying that same thing. He's like, hey, I want you to have your understanding of Jesus refocused and right back on track so that that joy can once again return to you and you can walk in this life with, with joy, complete joy. Listen, if we put that into a statement, it would simply be this. If you want to know real joy, then you've got to know the real Jesus. Not some fake Jesus, not some counterfeit, counterfeit Jesus, not some distorted view of who he is and what he came to do, but the real Jesus who is God in the flesh, who came and gave his life for us. I think that's one of the reasons why every week as a church, as a movement of our churches, we, we take communion because I think every week we need that moment to, to refocus and to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he came to do and the significance of the, the cross and the sacrifice he made for us because it doesn't take long for our view of Jesus to get distorted by the teachings, false teachings of this world. So, John wraps this up by saying, hey, you've got all kinds of counterfeit teachings being said out there, trying to tell you that you've got to know the right things and have the special knowledge. But John says, it's not what you know. It's who you know that's important, right? If you want to have real joy, you've got to know the real Jesus, now, John, if we skip down a little bit, go to chapter 2, verse 1, we find the, the second reason for his writing. Whenever he says this there in, in chapter 1, the beginning of that verse says this, my dear children, let me stop right there. This is in my notes, but I want to say this. John, when he says, my dear children, other versions say, my little children, you hear the pastoral heart in this. He's an older man, like I said, and he, he's talking to this church like, my, my little kids, I don't want you to go off track. I don't want you to lose sight of, of who Jesus is. My little children. You just hear this fatherly figure. For some, it'd be this grandfatherly figure that's, that's trying to speak truth into this, this young church. But he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's an interesting statement. So that you will not sin. Sin. If we back up into 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, uh, John actually makes it very clear that we all have a sin problem. Even as followers of Jesus, we, we still struggle with, with 
the sin nature that we're in a battle with. But again, John is refuting a false teaching of the Gnostics. Because one of their teachings was this, that if you were a real Christian, a super Christian, then you could not sin. That you could reach such a level of spiritual maturity that it didn't matter what you did. You were so spiritual now, even if you did sin, it wouldn't be considered sin because you're so spiritual. Now, for somebody less spiritual than you, it would still be sin. But not for you because you're super spiritual. You know what we call that? Hypocrisy. <laughs> it's like, what? What are you, what? And so John, again, he's, he's saying, no, no. We all deal with sin. We do. John says, no, we, we all have a sin problem. He goes on. Verse 1, but if anybody does sin, because we will and we do, all right, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We do have a sin problem. We do still struggle with sin. We do mess up from time to time, right? I'm not the only one, <laughs> okay? Just want to make sure. Some of you are looking at me a little confused, like, I never sinned. I don't know what you're talking about. No, we all still sin. We still make mistakes, right? And so John says, so, so anybody who does sin, when we do sin, don't, be, don't forget we have Jesus who's our defense attorney. So this is kind of the, the picture that he paints for us, that we're all in the, go into the judgment room one day, and we've got Satan over here who's the prosecuting attorney who's bringing all the accusations, and he's telling God the Father everything we've done that's wrong. And guess what? It's actually one time he's telling the truth because <laughs> he's like, yeah, they did this, this, and this. And you're like, yeah, I did. But Jesus is our defense attorney, right? And we are found guilty of sin. But then Jesus walks up to the podium and he makes a comment. And he says, he begins the comment like this. Dad. Father God, you know, Dad, Son. Dad, they're one of mine. I took care of, I took care of his sin, took care of her guilt. And Satan's hacked off. <laughs> and, and we're free. We, that sin has been paid for. That's where he goes on. If you go on in the next verse, it says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He paid the price. We don't need to go through this life wondering if we have salvation because it's not up to us. It was up to what he already did on the cross. And John is reminding them, don't forget what Jesus did for you. He was the sacrifice. He doesn't just stand in your defense. He paid the penalty for what you've done. And he tells this young church, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. Again, it's not what you know. It's who you 
No, it's not something that is saved for some select group that with, with some special knowledge because just like it says here in this text, he gave, you can go back to that one. He gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Who is that? The whole world, right? Not that just everybody's forgiven automatically, no. That anybody in this whole world that places their faith in Jesus Christ can receive forgiveness and grace and have salvation in him. It's for everybody. But how do we know if we're right with God? That question still pops up. Look at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Well, isn't that work-based? i got to earn my way? i got to be... No, 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 no. No, we know that we've been impacted, that we've been saved, that we've come into a relationship with him when it changes our life and we begin to walk in obedience with him. The obedience is a response to our love for Jesus and our relationship with him. It changes our relationship with Jesus, changes our relationship to sin. Because no longer, as I walk with Jesus, no longer do I love to sin. No longer do I uh, enjoy my sin. No longer do I, uh, uh, am I comfortable in my habitual sin. No, no, no. Now I'm, I'm horrified when I do it. When I do something against my God, my Savior who's died for me. The evidence of our salvation and our relationship with Jesus is our obedience to him. John drives that point a little bit further in verse 4. He says this, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Ooh, man, he's getting a little, little blunt here. You know, you say you walk in a relationship with him, but you don't do what he calls you to do. You don't live the life that he's called you to live. Then you're a liar. Well, that hurt my feelings, John. <laughs> but that's, that's the truth. If, if, if Jesus didn't change our life and change the way we live, then have we really came into a relationship with him? Are we really walking with him? Are we really understanding the life that he has called us to as one of his followers? So let me ask you a question. As your friends look at you, if they, those that you hang out with, if they found out that you are a follower of Jesus, would they be surprised? Would the parents, other parents on your kid's team, would they be surprised if they found out you are a Christian? Would your coworkers, would they be surprised if you claim to be a Christian because of how you live around them? Are your kids confused with what they see in mom and dad at church compared to what they see in mom and dad at home? That one may have stung a little bit, sorry. Obedience is the result of a relationship with the real Jesus. So 
what John says. So, maybe it's time to do a little heart check. Am I really living for him? He goes on, verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. If we obey his word, his love is made complete. It's the completion. He took a step towards us. He gave his son for us that we might be in a right standing with him and a right relationship with him. And the completion of that is then our life is changed and we begin taking steps towards him. And we begin walking with him. And we begin living a life of obedience in him. When we step into that relationship with Jesus, we step into a whole new way of living. A whole new relationship with sin as we talked about a minute ago. Obedience is the evidence of a life that has been saved. So if we were going to put that into a statement, it might go something like this. If you want to overcome your sin problem, then you've got to know the real Jesus. We all have a sin problem. John talked about it. And the way to overcome it is through a relationship with Jesus. Not a special knowledge, not a bunch of Bible knowledge even. We need that. We need to be in God's Word. That's not the, that's not the source of our salvation. Jesus is the source. He's the one. It's who you know that matters. So here's what I know about you and I. We all long, we all long for uh, a life of joy. We want to experience a life of joy, don't we? So often we get robbed of that. Here's another thing I know about us. We all have a sin problem like we just talked about. And the answer to both of these is Jesus. He came to bring joy, and he came to conquer sin. The, the false teachers, they, they taught about a special knowledge to be right with God, but John says, no, 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 no. It's quite simple. You just need to know Jesus. It's who you know. So I have one question today. Do you know Jesus? Father in heaven, we live in a world that is filled with counterfeit Jesuses, gospels, religions that uh, say they point to you, but they don't. God, help us, lead us. Help us to hear the words of John as he challenges us to, to really inspect our lives and, and look at our faith. And Are we truly walking in a relationship with you? God, make that clear and evident. Help us to examine our, our actions and the way we live in this world. And God, because we want to be right with you. God, we want to walk in a right relationship with you because, God, you loved us so much. Help us, God, to love you in return. 
God, if there's anybody here today and watching today that aren't in a relationship with you, God, may, may today be the day. They take that step to follow you, the real Jesus, the real God. God, thank you for loving us, forgiving us. Thank you for the joy we have in this life. We look forward to the day we step into eternal life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.